name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What did our Lord see that caused him to go up to the mountain to teach? He saw the poor and the poor of spirit. He saw the sorrowful, those who mourned. He saw the meek, those with no claim to greatness. He saw others still who hungered and thirsted, like the prodigal, for a righteousness they did not have. He saw some merciful, kind to the undeserving, some who had forgiven much and at great cost. He saw the pure of heart, not a sinless purity of heart, for such a thing does not exist, but a guileless purity, a heart capable of making a good confession. He saw those who had labored to make peace, who bore the inevitable scars of such endeavors. He saw those who had suffered for doing what was right, those who had been persecuted and would be persecuted all the more for righteousness' sake. The opening word in Matthew's account of our Lord's great sermon is, I don't, seeing, seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain to teach. Did he see sinners in need of a Savior? No doubt and yet much more. He saw into their hearts, and he knew them. Do you think that our Lord, risen from the dead, present where two or three are gathered in his name, and thus present with us this very day, do you think he does not also see into your heart and know the conflict and struggle and desire therein? Does the Lord forgive? Of course. But he also understands, commends, vindicates, and blesses. There is a tendency in the church, a kind of atrophying of theology, that leads to seeing our Lord as a kind of one-trick pony. He's the forgiveness guy. Nothing more. And should you find within yourself a desire for anything more, or at least for something more nuanced, you must surely be a legalist. This same tendency taken to an extreme leads to the perception that our Lord is rather blind. Blind to any uniqueness, any nuance let alone anything worthwhile within us. He is the forgiveness guy. All sins are the same. All sinners are the same. There's nothing else to be said. But this caricature of Jesus, this atrophying of his gospel, in no way resembles the fullness, the complexity, the comfort and the joy of who our Lord truly is and what he comes to give. Seeing the crowd, knowing their hearts, does he not see you?
Does he not also know your heart? He sees the poor in spirit. Does this describe you? Have you come to your senses in the pig pen of this life, returning empty-handed and destitute to your father's house? Blessed are you, our Lord says. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He sees the sorrowful, those who mourn. Have you likewise been downcast, subdued, depressed to the sorrowful actions that you yourself have done or that others have done weigh upon you? Or the state of the fallen church, the state of the fallen world, the sorrows of illness and death. Blessed are you, our Lord says, for you shall be comforted. He sees the meek. Have you likewise become weary with ambition, tired of all that this world praises, content to live instead in quietness and smallness and wish you could do that all the more? Blessed are you, our Lord says, for you shall inherit the earth. He sees those who hunger and thirst, but not for this world's delicacies and pleasures, rather for a righteousness that they do not yet possess. Do you hunger and thirst for the same? Blessed are you, our Lord says, you shall be satisfied. He sees the merciful, those who have not returned evil for evil, though they had occasion, those who have forgiven and borne the cost, those who even now seek to do good to those who deserve it not. Have you shared in any extent in these experiences and borne the cross that comes to all who are merciful? It is not in vain, nor does our Lord think you self-righteous. No, blessed are you, he says, for you shall receive mercy. He sees the pure in heart. And of course, no good Lutheran wants to claim that he is pure in heart. Surely, if anything were self-righteous, it would be that. And yet, ironically, Purity of heart has this very tendency toward humility. Purity of heart doesn't mean sinlessness of heart, but something much closer to truthfulness, integrity of heart. Blessed are you, our Lord says, for you shall see God. He sees the peacemakers. It is much easier for our Lord than for us to perceive their hidden wounds and internal scars. Peace always comes at a cost, even as the ultimate peace comes only by the shedding of our Lord's blood. Your labors and your wounds are not in vain. Blessed are you, our Lord says, for you shall be called sons of God.
He sees those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who have done what is right and paid the cost, or are paying it still. No good deed goes unpunished, as the saying goes. But our Lord sees all hearts, and he sees these sufferings as well. Blessed are you, he says, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Can you see why St. Peter calls our Lord Jesus the pastor and bishop of our souls? He sees all, knows all, forgives all, and yes, blesses and commends that which has been done, that which has been endured. No good deed goes unpunished in this life, and yet even a cup of cold water given to a little child does not fail to escape the gracious eyes of our Lord who sees. And it is he himself who promises that no true and good reward is ever lost. He is too gracious and good for that. You will be repaid in this life and in that which is to come. So who then is truly blessed? Is it really those who the world praises? Star athletes, the celebrities, the rich, would you trade places with them? No, they have their reward. It's empty, it's fleeting, it's for this life only, and then it's gone. So who are the truly blessed? Those who look to our Lord, even as he looks to us. Blessed are you, he says, but not when others praise you. Rather, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do not mourn when the wicked world despises you, alienates you, cancels you, and mistreats you. Rather, rejoice, our Lord says, and be glad. Why? because your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a glorious and fitting sermon our Lord preaches for this Sunday when we observe all saints, when we recall that all of God's people, from all times and in all places, they too have experienced what we are experiencing, and they have felt what we feel, and they, like us, have been simultaneously covered in the righteousness of Christ and conformed into his glorious image. You are not alone in this life. You are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You are not cursed in this life. Rather, you are blessed, as our Lord himself declares. And you will be blessed all the more, for great is your reward in heaven. It's no mere man who speaks these words, but our Lord. Don't be too humble to believe what he says. He sees all, and he rewards in graciousness. With what unspeakable love 
He gives himself to us. He gives himself for us. He gives his back to the scourges, his face to those who strike, his head to the crown of thorns, in love for you. His love is, in every sense, greater than we can comprehend, greater than we can see. His love is indeed specific and unique to each individual, and yet also entirely corporate, embracing the fullness of his church. If value is determined by the eye of the beholder, and the beholder is our Lord Jesus, of what great value are you? So let us rejoice then and be glad. Nothing is in vain. Nothing is meaningless. Nothing is lost. Nothing escapes his gracious eyes. Fear not. Your sins are forgiven. Fear not. Great is your reward. These present afflictions are not worthy to be compared to that glory which he has in store for you and for all his saints. Blessed is Christ the crucified and risen, and in him blessed are you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.